Welcome to the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove. Today, we're going to talk about the Carbon Almanac. The Carbon Almanac is something of a phenomena. It's both a book and a global community. The project was started in 2021 when author Seth Godin decided to create a book that would be both a useful climate reference and an example of collective action. Seth posted the idea on his blog and received some 700 responses from which he selected 300 writers, researchers, illustrators from 41 different countries. And together they created this collection of information, resources, charts, graphs, illustrations on the science impacts and solutions to climate change. As of 2022, the book had publishing contracts in seven countries and had spawned a network of podcasts, a LinkedIn course, an online resource collection, an educator's guide, a free children's edition, and a network of thousands of volunteers, of change makers in 90 plus countries promoting the knowledge and solutions described in the Carbon Almanac. We have three of those change makers with us today. We're joined on Zoom from London, England by Catherine Barnard, co-director of Working the Future, a consultancy that helps business leaders make sense of the future and build people-centered, easy-to-implement solutions that blend the best of humanity and technology. Hi, Kat. Hi, thanks for having me. Sarab Mittal joins us from Bangalore, India. Sarab is the founder of Passionately Curious, a coach and teacher. He writes a daily blog on creativity, marketing, and entrepreneurship, and volunteers with the Carbon Almanac to both initiate conversation and action locally and to lead initiatives globally. Hi, Sarab. Hi, Bob. Very happy to be here. And Anna Kohler-Smith, who is based in Iquitos, Peru, and works as a public health professional supporting vulnerable communities in both the U.S. and Peru, and she is a deep generalist and servant leader focused on human thriving in congruence with the natural world. Hi, Anna. Hey, Bob. Great to be here. Should mention that Anna's actually in transition from the U.S. back to Peru. So um, I, I believe she's waiting someplace, trying to get in through immigration. So uh, we apologize for the sound there. So let's start by talking about the Carbon Almanac's network. That's the thousands of people from 90 plus countries, which the book describes as a collective of artists, entrepreneurs, scientists, teachers, and humans who believe it's not too late to stop climate change. You're each part of that network. So I'd like to go around the room and just find out how each of you learned about the Carbon Almanac and why you became part of that network. Kat, do you want to start? Absolutely. Uh, thank you. I guess, why did I, why did I choose to become a part of the volunteer community stems back for me probably over a decade, I have been concerned for a long time about um, our changing environment, escalating carbon emissions, and a lack of action in that regard. Um, a decade or so ago, I was actually a founding member of a local community here in the UK called Amersham in Transition, which was part of a broader network of transition towns where we were trying to teach fellow community uh, members around the twin challenges of climate change and peak oil, the point at which oil just became too expensive to extrapolate from the ground, at which point all communities, regardless of where they were in the world, would need to transition towards low carbon emitting communities. Um, and, and I really enjoyed being part of the 
the setup of that group, although 10 years ago, you can imagine the appetite for and acknowledgement of the climate crisis just was almost non-existent. And um, in our particular community, I think it's a, a probably an archetypal commuter town. So people more preoccupied with, you know, uh, consumption habits than uh, consumption minimalism. And for me, I kind of ran out of steam on that project after a a couple of years of what felt to me like banging my head against a brick wall. Um, but it's always, it's remained uh, an issue close to my heart. And obviously over the last decade, we've seen um, the climate data changing. I first heard about um, the Carbon Almanac, probably around about this time last year, Bob, actually, when Seth put a call out again in the newsletter that he that he delivers for more volunteers. And I joined really not having a clue where I might be able to contribute, but absolutely knowing that I had skills and competences that could lend support to the project. Um, by that time, I think the book had largely been written and was already on its way to, to the publishers. So I kind of joined, was allowed into the, the, the community and then waited, really, lurked to see where I would be able to add some value. And I became more integrally involved because obviously the book's written in the English language. Um, there were lots and lots and lots of people present from North America, but I couldn't see an, a UK-based community. So I stepped forward and and offered to coordinate UK members and uh, ended up taking responsibility for business and corporate partnership outreach here in the UK. That's great. That's great. Sarah, where did you learn about the Carbon Almanac? What got you involved? Uh, I have been following Seth for a while. So I got to know about the Carbon Almanac with the first blog that he posted about the Carbon Almanac project. But at that time, I was preoccupied with uh, many other projects, so I could not be a part in the initial phase, which is around September of 21. Uh, but the next time, but I really regretted not raising my hand at that time. So the next time Seth opened up the uh, uh, form to be a part of the group, I was up for it. Uh, for me, it's about being a part of a group which is trying to make things better in the world and to have this community of leaders and initiators who are not only leading, they are pushing each other forward push and creating more leaders along the way. Uh, the more I have engaged with the Carbon and Black community, the more I have become uh, more proactive in thinking about the environment, in sharing about the environment, uh, in being proud about sharing about the environment. And uh, one of the things that has really helped me transition is reading the book itself. Like when I got the book, copy of the book and I started reading it with every fact that I came across. And then I, I was surprised, like I was surprised by the fact that globally we are still using 80% uh, of our energies coming from fossil fuels. I thought India had a specific problem with coal. And globally, we have moved forward. But then I 
actually went deep into it as like okay this is uh, a mess so uh, but more more than that also the belonging that uh, i feel in the community of leaders of and set started the akimbo community before this and i was a part of that and that a lot of people have that uh, intersection between carbon elnek and akimbo as well so uh, both are about leading and initiating and making things better and taking it upon ourselves to initiate and not waiting for permission so being a part of such a community really helps in 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 identifying as the leader that i want to be um anna where did you learn about the carbon almanac so my experience actually came from a similar place as Lucat and um Saros um all three of us had this interest in empathy and doing work that we find specifically effective and based on connection rather than simply only having um an individual or based on an old system and so all three of us i think i responded to this email as well i read about it i kind of entered late in the game and that's actually part of why i got involved um from peru the noisy starbucks and all this um I I think part of it is that a lot of us had developed a lot of trust with him over the years in terms of leadership and this is a new opportunity to engage in a new topic and that's part of what I was so excited about. I've done leadership courses, I've done different things, but let's take one of the most challenging issues or the most challenging issue and then learn how to work together leadership based and empathy based um, on an international scale. I couldn't say no to it. And that was my decision. So I am based in South America in Quito, Peru and um we're it's been wonderful to contribute that side of it kind of like how in the UK. Okay, thank you. Sir, there's a lot of different programs going on I me mean, within the network. I mean, I see a lot of different things. Can you tell us a little bit about the cities initiative? Yeah. So after we were done with the book, we launched the book and became a bestseller in many countries, but having a focused city based initiative is what seth came up with and it's not only seth who comes up with ideas like anyone can initiate any idea in in the forum but the city's idea was was very popular in the sense that everybody got a chance to be the leader in their own city like and to find people around them who can be aligned towards a common goal towards a common initiative and also transition from making a book to getting on ground action to creating conversations to uh to like for instance in bangalore i have hardly met anyone who was like oh i know that book and i carry the book around with me wherever i go and it's a conversation starter and then i get deep into it and everyone says oh here's my number here's my email how can i be a part of it how can we do something about it and uh, so that response that i've seen whether i go to a starbucks or whether i'm going out to a park or anywhere i tr- generally try to carry the book in a visible manner with me and it's generally where people come to me and initiate stuff and from there getting this global distributed leadership then so one is a global integrated leadership where we have come together globally to build this book but now taking this book to different cities across the world and also having a local city level action like one of the things that i realized while working in the bangalore initiative is that i know india and bangalore more than most of the people in the community like and hence the action steps that i was able to empathize was very different than what was what would be relevant in the west uh, in europe or us so those kind of local 
intelligence was initiated, I think, with the city initiative. So what I'm hearing is the city initiative is looking for people within their own city to take leadership and, and help um, raise awareness and perhaps action on the carbon solutions we find in the Almanac. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, how about the daily difference? Kat, can you tell us about that? It's not something that I have been integrally involved with, but a group within the Carbon Almanac uh, network community decided to embark on a daily email. Um, and I don't know whether you've had the opportunity, Bob, to, to take a look, but each day a short email gets produced and distributed and it contains just one strand, one topic related to the climate crisis and perhaps what a business is doing, what a city is doing, what a what a country is doing. And actually, when you read those little uh, snippets on a daily basis, they're pretty thought-provoking and very inspiring. And I think that's the intention behind them is just to drip feed little sparks into your email box to kind of get you thinking, well, continuously about the topic, but actually more laterally about the potential to be able to do something. I think one of the most powerful things, and it kind of builds on what Sarab was saying, is, you know, we we could wait for our international policymakers to establish frameworks and protocol around this this topic or we could just get started and as he said who better place than he to understand the region of Bangalore I think what's also really powerful is that when we get these little drip feeds of initiatives that are kicking off in whichever little tiny corner of the world it's inspiring it makes you think about what you could do in your tiny little corner and of course you know, over time, those dots join up, right? And then a bigger impact emerges. Yeah, that's a daily difference. Um, uh, I love your your metaphor, the little sparks coming in and just, you know, making you think, is that local or are these coming from all over the world? I mean, are you seeing initiatives from, from India, UK, the US, or are those somehow filtered? Uh, I, I don't know what the others would think, but as far as I've seen, the... When they, when they write the little details of the initiatives, they seem to be pretty um, broadly spread geographically. So, yeah, we could get something from Europe one day, something from India the next day, something from Asia Pacific the, the, the day after that. It all kind of it, it, it's more the scope for advancement and action towards than it is geographically um, ring fenced. I think that's kind of inspiring myself. I mean, a lot of times we feel like we're in a silo and we're working and to realize that this is happening all around the world. I could see where that would be uplifting and motivating. Anna, describing yourself as a deep generalist and a servant leader, and I know these aren't new concepts, but I think those concepts are new to many of our listeners. Can you give us a brief description of what deep generalist and servant leader means to you? I think the network itself actually is, is a deep generalist. I think it, we haven't had one mechanism in which we've done things other than through basically a non-hierarchical collective, which means that people have been individually supported in taking their own routes towards accessing with, via their own leadership, 
be a broader spectrum of ways of doing so. And then to me, um, servant leadership in its very essence is empathy-based, which is all three of us have in common, and you two, Bob, all four of us have in common. Um, and so I'm doing this thinking of the people I seek to serve and the world in the future that I seek to serve. It's not based on me being right or me having all the answers that would be serving in community and listening. And that's true of my work in Peru. That's been true of my work in Peru for a long time. And I think it's the binding agent of the Carbon Almanac. I can see how the Carbon Almanac helps promote this generalism and also this idea of servant leadership. You know, um, how is, I mean, the idea of servant leadership is collective action versus individualistic action. So how, how do you think, just following up on that, how do you think leadership that comes from collective action differs from that individualistic mode of work? Anna? Well, I think for a lot of people involved in the Carbon Almanac, there is a shift that happens. I'm curious what Kat and Saurabh have to say about this, but getting away from the fact that this hero mentality, that I need to be the one to fix a problem in our specific corner of the world, versus I'm going to add a layer that other people are going to add other layers to, and they're going to build up over time. Kat, your consultancy um, helps business leaders make sense of the future. Does the Carbon Almanac Network present an opportunity for business leaders? What, what should they be thinking about in this context? Well, that's a big, big question, um, Bob. You know, I like every- big questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you. I is it, for me. Um, I think you know what the first thing that we need to understand about about the challenge that we're facing is that it's a it's a huge systems problem, and our entire way of working and living is underpinned by the premise that there will be cheap fuel to um to to provide energy for whatever it is that we choose to do and if you think that through effectively what is being required of us as business leaders is to rethink how we create value how do we create value in the 21st century in a non-resource intensive way, because what we know to be true about resource intensity is that A, um, it comes at a cost to the environment, and B, you know, as we proceed into the 21st century, there's going to be a financial cost that is increasingly escalating. So the requirement for business leaders to evolve and adapt is twofold. One is... um, you know, we know because there's data out there that tells us that the majority of emissions that are um, produced into the environment come from industry and come from um, economic outputs. So any business leader that has got a vested skin in the game needs to be thinking about how he or she evolves and adapts their business. It quite simply boils down to survival, actually. And I think, you know, as it stands at the moment, even if as a business leader, you're not convinced that your business model is going to be reshaped by the climate crisis, actually, consumer attitudes are changing and people are, where they have the means to do so, thinking a lot more deeply and thoughtfully about who they choose to support financially and where they choose to spend their money. And of course, it's true that there are a lot of people that don't have the luxury of choice that that need to, you know, just scrape by. But there's a lot of people 
I suppose I would classify as, you know, the sort of the comfortable middle classes in, in the developed world and beyond who do have choices and they are starting to be infinitely more discerning in who they spend their money with. And if you haven't got your carbon credentials or a commitment of your carbon credentials presented both out outwardly towards the market but also internally um in and amongst your your kind of your staff base the people that work for your organization then you're going to come under scrutiny i think there's a lot of demand rising demand now for business leaders to stand take take a stand against the issues of the day um, it's, you know, across the board, political systems are deemed to be failing. And the Edelman Trust Bar- Barometer came out just last week, and it showed that now more than ever, business is looked to to solve the issues of the day, which is a massive challenge for business, but also a massive, massive opportunity. So businesses, you know, that opportunity to, to modify their models to address carbon and be part of this process. Sir, but what about individuals? How can they contribute to the initiatives like the Carbon Almanac? I mean, how do they work around their jobs and other initiatives? Where we can start is to embrace the fact that what Seth calls his leadership is like you are an imposter. You act like a leader and then you become a leader. And many times individuals are waiting to be appointed the leader. Like I was not selected as the leader. Who am I to take action? I am just here to do my job. Everybody does this, does it this way. So who am I to change things? And we are afraid of being a hypocrite. We are afraid of being an imposter. We are afraid of people calling us out. So we do whatever, even if we see the right thing to do, but because nobody else is doing the right thing, we make peace with the fact that let's keep doing the wrong thing because everybody else does the wrong thing. And I think... I agree with Catherine that the industry has a lot of opportunity here with the climate change of transitioning, like whoever cracks the packaging, biodegradable packaging thing, they have a billion dollar opportunity there. Whoever cracks making solar cool, right? Whoever cracks that individuals can buy solar energy instead of coal-based electricity, they they have an opportunity of a lifetime there. That is true. But the change, I feel, comes at an individual level. And the individual has its own resistance, his his or her own resistance, his or her own comfort with the status quo to cross. And how they can do that is, is through small actions. It's not through, oh my God, I will just eliminate my carbon footprint altogether tomorrow onwards. And if I don't do that, then then I will pollute as much as I like. It's not like a binary game. It's like, what, what small things can I do? How can I initiate a conversation? How can I uh, initiate a leadership group, a mastermind where we are picking up a change that we care about and working towards making it actionable. And the more and more people become conscious about it, the more industry will follow, industry is looking for consumer trends. So the more they see a consumer trend away from plastics, the more they see a consumer trend away from fossil fuels, the more they are going to invest in the renewable uh, 
space and the uh, environmental friendly they are not going to invest because oh it's good for the world that's like let's be real about the that consciousness is not there right now if that was there we would have done this 30 years back but they are definitely following their audience and seeing oh my market share is dropping because this uh, com- competitor has come up with a environmentally uh, friendly alternative so then they are going to get off their uh, systems and try to make changes which and yes the big challenge there also is the greenwashing challenge where they are being hypocritical and again that awareness among the individuals of calling out companies who are trying to greenwash who are trying to continue their old ways while showing as if they are changing so i think individuals accepting that each and everyone is a leader and each and everyone has that challenge and of overcoming the status quo in order to embrace that leadership that i feel is is a big is going to play a big part in this transition you're listening to the climate hour i'm your host bob grove we're speaking with anna smith cat barnard sarah mittel about the carbon almanac so we've been talking about the carbon almanac's network let's pivot to the actual book you know over 300 contributors writers researchers illustrators around 97000 words lots of graphics and charts very visual the book is a source of reliable and easily understandable knowledge on climate change something that we can share with others it not only gives us the information to speak knowledgeably but the book itself becomes a talking point you know sorry i heard you talking about carrying around the book and actually just saying hey what's that let's talk about the book so talking point within itself an opportunity to discuss the issues the book's subtitle is it's not too late why do you think that's important cat Genuinely, I feel that the major fossil fuel providers have a vested interest in having us all feel that we're doomed because if we all have a sense of doom, then the chances are we're not going to do anything, we're not going to step up and protest, we're not going to change our consumer behaviors which as Sarab said, you know, business business tracks those consumer um attitude shifts and adapts accordingly. So where consumer attitudes change, business will eventually follow because clearly um, not to do so is to shorten your corporate longevity. I think, you know, look, it's indisputable. I think we're all now experiencing climate disruption um, across the globe and we're starting to see more and more extreme weather events. But when it really boils down to it bob what choice do we have it isn't too late because the alternative is that we just all give up and wait for whatever it is that lies in store for us but that's not human nature you think about human nature humans are for the most part incredibly resilient adaptive creatures by intuition and therefore Yes, I don't think any of us have any idea of the size and scale of the challenge in front of us, but to not do anything isn't an option. You know, we're hardwired, aren't we, to as a species to stay alive for as long as we can stay alive and therefore it's not too late as a strapline is to me it signals hope. You know, if there are enough of us together 
then we can overcome whatever the challenges are that lie, you know, down the line for us. Anna, what about the subtitle, It's Not Too Late? Well, I don't think it's an option for it to be too late for most of the world. You know, it's not an option to say, oh, it's we're done, because most of that's not, that's, that, that's not, that leaves out most of the planet's survival. And if you think about it from that perspective, which I think is an empathy based like one of them, um, it's never going to be too late because we care about other people. And um, empathy comes from the fact that we're seeing things from people who have a lot less limited, a lot more limited options than people in the middle class West. Um, and I feel like for me, empathy, the very, the very nature of it is thinking in terms as, as, as if, as if you were someone else. And understanding that other people don't want what you want, don't need what you need, don't see the world the same way that you do, and that everyone needs the same level of care regarding climate. We need to be thinking about production in the West that affects the developing world. And so I think for me, the, the essential transition to be able to do intercultural work, which all of us are doing, comes from that very notion of the practice of thinking as if, as if somebody else. And I think the Carbon Almanac things as if in that also by taking action, we're taking action for everyone. Um, everyone benefits. I, I see in my work in Peru, there aren't people don't, in, in Iquitos where I live, people don't have choices regarding what they what they can consume. There, there isn't consumer option. Um, and I see spending time in the United States, the number of options that my family has and how eventually, and really the way that we understand climate impact to work is that those, those the choices move south and they impact those with less options. And so I know part of me is just sort of informing a broader worldview based on, on what, what impacts whom and kind of how we can be how we can be kind of caring of each other and thinking as though not just we are the only ones whose voices matters and one of the practices that we need to be instilling in our own lives to really adopt that. It's it's not something that comes naturally to us. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's a big part of the TCA network as well. And I think that's been one of the biggest draws for me. Um, I needed to know personally that it wasn't too late. I needed to be reminded of it for my own continued involvement because, because I because I care and because we all do. And if it was too late, then we would stop caring. And there's no there's no world. What about India? It's not too late. What does that mean there? I agree completely with Anna and Catherine what they said. But I also want to add another point to it. Is like as an individual, it's not too late to start acting now. Like you are not left behind. You can't like, like we can start taking action. It's not late to take actions. Like shifting our mindset from a fixed mindset where we say, is it too late to solve this problem? Or like instead of it, just it's not too late to make things slightly better. Like even if you end up not solving the problem, let's say whatever, I don't know, because that's too big a problem, but it's not too late to make things slightly better however much we can whether we are a business leader whether we are uh, individual where we are working in a job it's not too late for us to take action and that in itself is an empowering line and it it goes for the climate change initiative it goes for anything else in their life that people want to start working towards because the more we work towards a better world the more the world will become better so it's not too late where, where we feel, oh, now I am 40 and it's too late for me to be this or it's for, too late for me to participate in a climate change rally or 
start this business that I've been thinking or uh, do something. Like I have this idea. It's not too late to share that idea. We need that idea. So I think it would go in that growth mindset perspective, especially. Another big graphic on the book's cover says facts, connection, action. I think that's kind of cool. Um, I mean, I look at that and I think the book has the facts and the, the Almanac's network perhaps provides the connection. So what are the anticipated actions we're looking for? Kat? When I read um, facts, connection, action, um, what I think about is, is the idea that the book is as far as I'm aware, the first single source repository of climate data um, that triggers conversations. I think the book was always designed as a conversation starter. So the connection piece, and it kind of comes back to Sarah carrying the book, you know, around the city, it, it, it triggers a conversation. What's that book? Why have you got it under your arm? Why are you carrying it around? tell me more. And I think that's where we're at now. We've launched the book. The, the book's launched, I think, in most countries um, globally. It's already uh, delightfully started to win awards. But actually, the piece that happens next is, is the big piece. And while we have the Carbon Almanac Network um, community, that's literally just the starting point. The next phase is to disseminate to spread the word to have others who aren't necessarily part of that intent part of the network community itself but you know Seth's big idea and big area of interest is has always been how ideas travel so for us I think the project is you know we've created a book the next bit is to connect um to raise awareness of the book and to connect people to people who are interested in talking about the topic matter. And the one thing that I think is really interesting is um, how people tend to adopt new behaviours around climate action. So rather than read something that might appear quite sterile on a page, actually the life hacks that we adopt the fastest are the ones that we learn from our friends when they tell us about oh you know I stopped um I stopped uh using you know uh disposable cutlery or I stopped um I chose to stop eating meat twice a week or you know I decided that I was gonna uh, become infinitely more uh conspic um conscious of my consumption habits it's 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 the way in which we spread ideas um between our social networks and that I think is where the real action happens and something Sarah said earlier which just made me think and I can't remember the exact context but you know we are in this situation where traditionally we've waited for our political leaders to introduce policy that's that disseminates change societally but the difference now is that with the internet power is distributed isn't it power um the internet has given us all power to effect change but we can effect change far more quickly and impactfully when we're communicating with one another about what's worked 
here and what's worked there, which kind of comes back a little bit to the daily difference email. You know, when you see these little tidbits of, well, this is what this city is doing and this is what this town is doing and this is what this community of people is doing. It's just constantly feeding your imagination as to what actually is possible. But the benefit is when you're working through one another's knowledge and social networks, you get kind of the lived grounded experience of, well, I did this and this is the change that it made for me and this is how it made me feel and this is the action that I can see as a tangible output. And that all adds up massively more significantly than waiting for policymakers to change how they do things. Sarah, what about you? Facts, connections, action. What are the action elements? I think the carbon element does very well is if I see a world without carbon element, and then I want to talk to someone about climate change. First, I don't have a context. Like then I when I take the book along, then there is something which we can talk about and we can initiate that conversation. But if I leave the book and I go, I'll go to a WeWork and talk to people about climate change, then I then they try to avoid me. Then they would be like, why are you bothering us? We don't want to talk about climate change. But when the book is there, then they're like, what's this about? Oh, okay, what? So one is that. Second, it gives the facts. So if you just pick up any page of the book, you randomly open the page and you see, okay, coal is a big problem. Okay. How much a problem is coal? What percentage is it causing? And so on. What can I do? Uh, So it's giving you real facts around which you can navigate a conversation. Instead of saying, oh, I need to go to the internet and try to search the facts and then there, there'll be so many opposing viewpoints on YouTube and uh, social media. And then at the end, it will lead to inaction uh, without all the facts there. But once you have facts, you know what you can rally around with. Then you can have conversations that connection starts forming. You, I started alone in Bangalore. Then we had a group of three. Then we are like 10 people talking about climate. So those connections are forming. And when we combine the facts with the connections, then everyone asks, what can we do? Okay, talking is all right. We can talk and talk and talk. What can we do? And then we start talking about how can we get more electric vehicles to be adopted? How can we get uh, less coal to be used and all that? So then we start moving towards who can we connect with more and lead to more action. So then it becomes a virtuous cycle and it keeps adding more facts, connection, action, and it becomes a flywheel which keeps turning around. There's a carbon almanac for kids called Generation Carbon. I believe that's in, what, 20 different languages. And I see a free educator's guide as well as lesson plans on Seesaw. Anybody want to talk about that? So the uh, translated copies, the, the idea for the Kids Carbon Almanac came from somebody within the network community who um, had a special interest in um, children's education and um, if you've had a chance to look at it, you'll see it's beautifully illustrated, um, absolutely fantastically creative effort. And then um, because the because the network community was truly international, an idea arose, well, what would happen if we could get the children's almanac translated? So obviously there are kind of licensing and redistribution issues with the actual grown-up book because clearly you know, the uh, permissions there lie with the publisher. But with the with the children's version, there were no licensing issues. So there was kind of like a blank canvas to 
to go and do with that what what the project what the what the community members wanted i have to say though an absolute huge shout out goes to our translation partner so when in the spring of last year i was coordinating uk uh, corporate partnership potentials we were approached by an organization called rws and their proposition was well look we're a translation business that's that's what we do we translate all kinds of copy and marketing material for all manner of very well known brands rather than us support you by buying a couple of hundred copies of the book in preparation for the publishing date why don't we translate for you um into into languages that you would see fit and so we we set out on this project first identifying the languages that the internal community had a preference for translation but then also looking more broadly at um countries that were going to clearly be most impacted by climate chaos and and also countries that had um a higher than usual carbon emission footprint so you'll see for instance one of one of the accomplishments we've had the um the almanac uh translated into um trying to think now god it's always when you get put on the spot we've had the we've had the kids almanac translated into hindi and into japanese and into korean and um mandarin and so on we also the same uh partner rws oversaw the translation of um an abridged version of the almanac into bengali for us because we recognized that the textile industry is so dominant in bangladesh as one example but we also know because consecutive summers keep telling us that bangladesh is massively compromised by flooding and so on so we wanted to be able to share a resource locally that would be helpful to citizens as they try to mitigate the worst effects of 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 climate chaos in their local communities yeah so i see the 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 generation carbon what we're talking about the children's almanac and the the lesson plans and such available on the website so anybody go to the website look for those they can download them i also see four different carbon almanac podcasts there's the carbon almanac collective generation carbon carbon sessions and the carbon connection sarab could you talk about those a little bit this is also a indication of the leadership thing that we are talking about people raised their hands and said we need to have a podcast regarding this we need to have a child children focused podcast so a separate podcast somebody else somebody took a leadership to uh, get it up and running and so seth keeps asking this question who's it for what's it for like in, in his marketing books and so with every project that clarity is needed like what's this podcast for and as soon as someone thinks that this is for children this is for everyone this is for boosting connection so that ways these four podcasts started to come into being which serve their own purpose and uh, i think what i heard uh, seth mentioned in a in 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 an interview 
is that he he himself thought that podcast was not a such a good idea because it's very resource intensive and it's very difficult to maintain but the team said that oh, we will 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 let us try let us do that and it, he himself was surprised by the consistency by the professionalism that these podcast uh, have created and they also enable people to gather awareness about climate change in a much like i feel podcast is a is a is a medium that you can consume in a in a variety of situations so that access to this information becomes uh, becomes much more uh, convenient for people yeah i think that's uh, really and i might add more to the podcast thing if she i think you wanted to share something anna i know no i i i haven't been too involved in the podcast section other than the fact that we are at some point want to just do it some in spanish but we're not quite there yet <laughs> but it's a wonderful way to contribute to because a lot of people would prefer to listen than read um exactly. yeah so i see the book available on amazon for around 15 dollars but i understand the book is uh, free to non-profits schools etc how do these groups go about getting the copy anna can you talk about that Sure. So we would love for folks to join us as partners as the Climate Council um, did as well. Um, and we are looking to partner with school districts. We're looking to partner with nonprofits who want to join us. Um, and basically, it means you're joining our wonderful register of all kinds of folks, including um, the Department of the Pacific and Girls Incorporated, uh, Climate General Knowledge Center with you, Bob. Um, and, and through that partnership, we offer um, free books um, for folks who want them. And one of the ways we have a setup is our cost setup is that for corporations that purchase the book, their purchases offset the costs um, for, for nonprofits. So we're also able to able to offer to school districts as well who want to join us. So those groups that want to partner, those groups that want to partner with Carbon Almanac have access to these free books to distribute within their network. Is that the same thing that applies in UK and India? Same process there? Kat, you're saying no. No, I think um, unfortunately not. It's um, by virtue of a partnership with an organization that's US based called Porchlight that that agreement is able to happen. So as part of its partnership, I think Porchlight for every um, copy that's bought by a private entity, they will gift a copy to a non-profit but unfortunately because of all the shipping costs that would be associated with that we can't extend that internationally i see so that that's an advantage that people in the united states have you know our non-profit groups so we should take advantage of that sarah india is about to overtake china as the world's most populous nation um, how important is greenhouse gas emissions and climate change there you know what's the road ahead for india the climate change impact that india is facing is already showing like in northern india the temperatures this year have been just off the charts and then there is flooding and all these challenges of the country as such uh, but on the other hand what i feel is a lot of optimism because i see the government also consciously trying to shift towards climate uh, positive uh, uh, initiatives and i also the most wonderful thing that i have observed lately is a lot of youth are signing up to lead climate change initiatives and committing their career to uh, uh to to initiate and to make an impact like one of the volunteers in bangalore shiva he was 
he told me about the initiatives that he he's he just graduated from college and he has clarity over this that this is what i'm doing and i don't care like i am he shifted cities just to participate in the climate change thing so that is a big optimism i have for the country with a lot of youth coming in and taking action i want to thank all of our guests for joining us today where can our listeners go to learn more about your work cat Obviously, um, Bob, apropos of the, the Carbon Almanac itself, you know, come join us on the on the Carbon Almanac website and sign up for the Daily Difference newsletter. For me personally, I am co-founder of Working the Future. So our website is www.workingthefuture.com. Um, and you'll often find us commenting and advising on the impact of the climate crisis on organizations, etc. Sarah, where can people go to learn more about your work? What Catherine said, I would say that if they find it interesting, they might consider checking out the book. And that might be a good place to start for them. And for me personally, they can go to my website. Uh, our uh, company is called Passionately Curious. Uh, so they can go to www.passionatelycurious.in. IN is for India. And there is an option to book a call with me there. So they can book a complimentary call. And I would love to say hi. Anna, where would you like to send people to learn more about this work? Yeah, so I mean, obviously with the Carbon Almanac, there's resources for all kinds of folks at all kinds of levels, including folks who are just getting started. So I just want to briefly say I started with the kids book. I needed to, I'd probably a lot of folks do. Um, my, my mom did, <laughs> it's a wonderful weigh-in. So I would definitely suggest that folks start with that. There's a free information available online at the kids book. Um, personally, you can find me, I, I, I blog and muse on empathy, intercultural stuff. I work in different the world. Um, it's Anna Kohler Smith at K-O-H-L-E-R Smith at.com, Anna Kohler Smith.com. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We welcome your questions and feedback. You can learn more about the Climate Hour at climatehour.net. That's climatehour.net. This is the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove.